You're listening to episode 265 of the Humans 2.0 podcast with Daniel Pink. Daniel is the author of six top-selling books, including his newest, When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, which spent four months on the New York Times bestseller list, and in 2018, it was named a best book by Amazon. On top of that, he's got a ton of other bestsellers you may recognize, like A Whole New Mind, Drive, To Sell as Human, and, you know, Dan and I really got together because some random person that I knew in my LinkedIn network introduced me to Dan and set up this interview. It was absolutely amazing. If you're not aware of Dan yet, just being in his world and checking out his amazing content will truly change you. And while you're listening to this podcast, if anything sticks out to you is thought-provoking or interesting, take a screenshot of the podcast and put it up on your social media, text it to a friend, because sharing is learning. And without further ado, episode 265 with Daniel Pink. So Daniel, the first question that I always ask my guests to start is how do you spend your time here on planet Earth? <laughs> um, I think I – well, that's a tough question. Um, I spend my mm. time here ha- – having never been to any other planets, I don't know if I have a great point of comparison. But I spend my time on planet Earth uh, in some level uh, trying to get decent work done each day. Uh, and for me, mm. decent work generally is of the writing variety. So day by day, I try to create something semi-interesting and valuable if I can. Hmm. Mm. And uh, you know, Daniel, are you are you on the East Coast right now? I am. Cool. So so it's uh, so it's one thirty-eight. So so you and I are both in the, in the afternoon. We're in the middle of a a trough. Yeah. So, so that's not great. That's awesome. That's not great, but yeah, you know, I, I recognize that. So, I actually had knowing that I had had to talk to you and that we we're going to talk for you know half an hour or so. I actually took a very short walk and had a cup of coffee before this, so I should be fine. You might fade, but I'm going to be fine. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome, man. You know, I actually went for a walk too because um because I know that right, and I know you know when I stumbled across you know your book and even you know, before then, I really loved the way that, you know, you were able to sort of take like these, a lot of these, not really big ideas, but a lot of these ideas that are heavily, you know, talked about in in the science and you're able to bring them down. And when I read your book, When, I mean, that totally, totally changed the uh, the game for me. Like I, I sort of knew it at a surface level, but I just sort of got the language cool. to, to do it. Great. And it's like, yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks and so I'm that. curious, for, you know, to know for you, like, curious to know for you like when did you really um you know when did you really get aware of like oh man like i guess when i do this in the morning i'm like at my best but in my afternoon i'm at the low i'm sure you always knew it but was was there a particular uh moment or a particular uh you know event where this sort of idea crystallized you know i'm not it's interesting that's an interesting question so i'm not sure i ever fully knew it uh, I think that I probably had suspicions. I probably had hunches. But one of the things is that when we have hunches and suspicions about our behavior, our own behavior, other people's behavior, uh, increasingly now we're, we, have, we can get access to evidence to say, 
is this hunch actually validated by something beyond my own experience? And that's what I tried to do in this book, When, which is look at and say, you know, maybe I feel differently at different times of day. Is that a universal trait? And it turns out mm. from this research that it absolutely is, that one of the most important findings from the research in the science of timing, this research that spans many disciplines from economics to uh, neuroscience to microbiology to chronobiology to anthropology, one of the, the, the big takeaways from this research is that all of us, all human beings, for all human beings, our cognitive abilities do not remain static over the course of the day. They change. Uh, mm. They change in, in predictable ways. They can change in dramatic ways. And knowing that helps you fashion, you know, at the very least, the right kind of day to allow you to do the right kind of work at the right time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I love looking at this because as an individual, you know, I can apply it into my own life right. and, you know, begin to really structure things out. But then when you first sort of just, you know, stumble on this idea and then you begin to look out in the world to maybe, I don't know, like, you know, validate it, you begin to see like some really, really interesting like data and figures and statistics about things in our society that are super important from like our healthcare to our justice system. And you laid that out well. I'd love it if you could, um, you know, give us some examples. Sure. So again, so just to take two steps back. So, so, so what I did mm. is really in response to some of the questions that you're asking there, Mark, is, is um, you know, I found myself making all kinds of timing decisions in my own life. The, things, the very things that we're talking about. When should I do an interview? Uh, whether I'm the interviewer mm. or the interviewee, when should I do my writing? When should I do uh, this kind of work or that kind of work? When should I exercise? Mm. And I was making those decisions in a very sloppy way. I wanted to make them in a more intelligent way. And so I, I went out and said, is there evidence to help us make these decisions? And it turned out there's this vast array of evidence. It ends up being, as I mentioned earlier, splattered across many, many domains. But once you mm. acknowledge that, you can begin to piece together the evidence-based ways to make better, smarter decisions about when to do things. And it turns out that these questions have big implications in the rest of our lives, not only for when we do things, but for when we encounter other people doing good things, which goes into your exactly your, your question there. So if you look at something like, like healthcare, uh, it's pretty obvious to me that if, if you can avoid, if one can avoid it, uh, do not go to the hospital or to an important doctor's appointment in the afternoon, period. Uh, the quality of care is less, uh, and the evidence here is overwhelming. Uh, if you look at anesthesia errors, anesthesia errors far more likely at 3 p.m. than at 9 a.m. If you look at uh, the prescribing of unnecessary antibiotics, far more prevalent mm. in afternoon exams uh, instead of morning exams. Uh, if you look at the prescribing of opioids, far more prevalent in afternoon wow. exams rather than in morning exams. If you look at, I mean, hospitals, we, we often don't realize hospitals can be dangerous places. There's a huge problem um, in this country and others, but especially in the U.S., in what are called hospital-acquired infections, where somebody goes into the hospital for whatever reason, doesn't have an infection, but acquires an infection while they're in the hospital. That's a big problem. The first, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible problem. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar problem. It costs thousands of lives every year. It's, 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 it's terrifying. Hmm. The first line of defense against hospital-acquired infections is for nurses, doctors, orderlies, people working in hospitals to regularly 
constantly wash their hands. And they don't do that mm. in general. But hand washing in hospitals is even worse in the afternoon. So when we think about these, the, the, the way that our cognitive, human beings' cognitive abilities do not remain static over the course of a day, the implications are not only for our own performance, but for being in situations where we are on the receiving end of other people's performance. You see this very glaringly in some of the work in, in the judicial system. There's one particular study uh, showing, it's a fascinating if terrifying study that showed the following. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, so they gave, uh, it's an experiment, so they gave these, these kind of uh, experimental juries uh, um, a set of facts about a particular criminal defendant. And they told half the mm. participants, here are the facts of what this person was alleged to have done and what the evidence that we have against him. Uh, half the people, they said, his, his, the defendant's name is Robert Garner. Half the people, they said, the defendant's name is Roberto Garcia. And when jurors deliberated in the morning, they rendered the same verdict, um, whether mm. the name was Garcia or Garner. However, when jurors deliberated in the afternoon, they were more likely to acquit Robert Garner and convict Roberto Garcia on the same set of facts. And that's terrifying too. So what we see, again, is a great question, is that human performance, it does not remain constant over the course of a day. It changes, it changes, it can be changed in, in very significant ways. It changes in somewhat predictable ways. And simply knowing that can help you make better decisions mm. about when you do things and also when you encounter other people. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so so fascinating, and I feel like th like it could also get complex because I feel like there's so many you know different variables. There and are, that's, and that's a good point. Me, I, 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 that's a really good point. Mm. And that what we have to do is that it is com it is somewhat complicated. So you can't reduce this to say you know never do anything in the afternoon. That's not what the science tells us. <laughs> um, do everything in the morning and nothing in the afternoon. That's not what the evidence tells us because. There, it's, it's more nuanced than that. And, there, and exactly as you mm. say, another variable that we haven't talked about is the individual, him or herself. And individuals mm. are, are, are different based on what's known as a chronotype, which is essentially your, you know, are you, do you wake up, naturally wake up early and go to sleep early? Do you naturally wake up late and go to sleep late? Are you somewhere in between? And your chronotype determines to what extent certain times of day affect you for certain kinds of tasks. So. So what we can do is we, we can't come up with a single one-sentence hard and fast rule because there are, as exactly as you mm. say, Mark, so many variables. What we can do is come up in a given day with a set of design principles that if we know these design principles, mm. you can apply them to your own life, tailor them to your own life, and actually uh, be better at constructing mm. a day for maximum satisfaction and productivity. Yes, yes. And I, I love that idea behind, you know, actually looking at this as like a, a process. And, you know, to me, when you say that, the first step, and feel free to correct me, is sort of like that self-awareness. Am I a night owl? Yep. Am I a morning person? How, you know, how, how am I observing myself? How do I think in the morning? How do I think in the evening? How do I think in the afternoon? Is there like any, any tips that you would give on that self-awareness piece to really understand, are you a night owl or not? Yeah. You know? th so there are some scientifically validated instruments that is questionnaires that you can, that one can look at. So there's something called the Munich mm. chronotype questionnaire, the MCTQ. Uh, there's mm. something called the morning eveningness questionnaire, the MEQ. There's also a very simple back of the envelope way to, to figure it out, which I, I could do with you right now, Mark, if you wanted to. Like I could figure okay. out your chronotype or at least get okay, a, good, a good guess of your chronotype in about 45 seconds. 
So I want you to think about what chronobiologists, and these are the people who, who study the, the, the science of our biological rhythms, uh, what, what they call a free day, F-R-E, a free day. And a free day is a day where you mm. don't have to wake up to an alarm clock, but you're also not you know, massively sleep deprived. For the, you haven't been massively sleep deprived for the last two weeks and you're trying to catch up on your sleep. You can just basically follow what your body is telling you. Here's when I like to go to sleep. Mm. Here's when I like to wake up. So on a, on a typical day, on, on a free day, well, when would you typically go to sleep? Yeah. On a free day, yeah. I, I'm somebody who likes to go to sleep early. So okay. I'd be a, I'd be in bed like nine, ten. Okay, wow, that's that's pretty early. So let's say let's say ten. Okay, so even on a free day, you go to sleep at ten. Yeah. And when would you wake up? Uh, I usually wake up like around maybe like six o'clock. Okay, so so you sleep. Let's say on a free day, you sleep. You go to sleep at ten and wake up at six. So what we're trying to figure out here is yeah. your midpoint of sleep. And your midpoint of sleep, mm. if you go to sleep at ten. And wake up at six is two a.m. Right. So here's what we know: if mm. you if one's midpoint of sleep is before three thirty a.m., you're probably a lark. So you're you're a lark. Does that that seem to make sense to you? You're you're a morning person yeah. more than yeah. an evening person. Okay. But it's interesting because your age is you're at an age where um, p- people in their in their early to from their mid teens to their mid twenties tend to be fairly late night types, fairly alley. But you're an exception to that. So, so if your midpoint of sleep is before eight, I'm sorry, before eight, before three uh, thirty, you're probably a lark, a morning person. If your midpoint of sleep is mm-hmm. after five thirty a.m., you're probably an owl, an evening person. If your midpoint of sleep is between three thirty and five thirty, you're probably what I call a third bird. You're in the middle. So, so for me, it's interesting because I'm, you know, I'm a couple decades older than you. Is that mm. um, um, I my I, on a free day I would typically go to sleep at midnight and wake up at, at eight say so my midpoint of sleep would be four a.m. that would make me not a lark that wow. would put me in the middle it's a very very common chronotype it's the most hmm. common chronotype um, uh, yeah uh, that would put me in the in the middle range but kind of leaning toward lark but you're larkier than I am even though you're so what would be interesting to see Mark is this is that because because our chronotype changes over time as I mentioned little kids are yeah. very very larky. Around the mid-teens, as I said, people begin, in general, to move toward greater and greater alleyness, and then that dissipates for many people in their mid-20s. That said, a, a big core of the population, maybe 20, 25%, are, are nighttime people. They naturally wake up late and go to sleep late, um, and their patterns are very, um, their patterns are, are, are pretty different. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, like, I, I definitely want to, you know, sort of hear from you, like, somebody listening to this, like, you know, okay, so, you know, what are sort of like the best tax tasks to do in the morning? But it's, it's so interesting to, you know, see how different parts of the world, different cultures sort of respond to this. And it's like, you know, I know some cultures, they, um, you know, when it comes to the afternoons, I know some cultures, like they take naps, like everything shuts down and they take naps over here in America. It's, I mean, it's pretty different. I don't really know anybody that takes a nap in the afternoon, although, you know, you can do do what you want. Um, and so, you know, with all these different variables, you know, sort of moving forward with the design sort of principles and breaking it down into processes, what do you think is best for sort of the morning, the earliest, the first part of the day in terms of like when to do certain tasks? Yeah, great question. It depends, it depends on... Um 
sort of depends on your chronotype. So let me let me um, let me mm. explain this. So typically, human beings move through the day in three stages: a peak, a trough, a recovery. Uh, and that's that's a, it's a uh, uh, especially when it comes to things like like mood. Our mood goes up, our mood declines, our mood recovers. So peak. So think about the mm. day as three stages: peak, trough, recovery. Most of us, that is larks like you, third birds like me, tend to go through the day in that order: peak early in the day, mm. trough in the middle of the day. Uh, recovery late in the afternoon and the early evening. Owls are very different, though. The 20% of us who are just inherently nighttime types, who naturally, as I said, wake mm. up late, go to sleep late, uh, they're far more complicated. The thing to understand with them is that they have their peak much later in the day. So eve early evening, mm. mid-evening, late evening, uh, that's when they hit their peak. And so here's what we know. During the peak, uh, that's when we're better off doing analytic work. Analytic work is work that requires heads down focus and attention, uh, th things where you don't want to be distracted. So uh, you're, mm. you're 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 analyzing something carefully. You are checking your Excel spreadsheet. You are writing mm. a big white paper or something like that. And so that kind of work people tend to do better during their peak, which for 80% of us is the morning. Now. There's going to be individual variation, of course. So someone like you, who is larkier than someone like me, you might want to get started a little bit early in the day. I'm not someone who starts work. Mm. At, I, what, what time do you typically start working? Like eight o'clock, okay. nine o'clock. Oh, okay. So that's not so bad. So, 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 what do you do between your six a.m. wake up and your say eight thirty start time? I uh, stretch. I meditate. I go to the gym. Okay, great, I eat great, great, breakfast. Great, great, great. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so, and we can talk about exercise in in a moment too. So, 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 yeah. All so, right. so you, so, so for me, for instance, I'm not a, um, I'm not a hardcore lark as you are. So for me, exercise in the morning <laughs> is actually kind of difficult. Um, so, so mm. what'll happen is, is that you and I will start work at about the same time. I'll start work at maybe eight thirty or nine, but I won't be up until, you know. 7:15 or 7:30. Um, mm. So you'll 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 already have an hour and a half head start on me. Um, but I then, mm. I then catch up to you later in the day at nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night when I'm not doing anything. Mm. Um, so um, so so anyway, the point of all this is that we want to do our analytic work during the peak. Uh, now during the trough period, mm. which is this this the middle of the day for most people, early to er, uh, you know early to mid early mid afternoon. Uh, that's a time of that, that's just not a good time of day. It's a time of declining performance. <laughs> it really isn't. It's a time of declining performance mm -hmm. on a whole range of things. You see all this evidence that, um, uh, for instance, like elementary school kids do worse on standardized tests during that time of day. You see an uptick mm -hmm. in auto accidents per capita uh, at that time of day. Uh, you see this very serious decline in healthcare performance that I mentioned early. And so during that trough mm. period, we should be doing our, when we can, our administrative work. And that's basically work that doesn't require massive creativity or intense analytic focus. So that could be answering your routine mm. emails or filling out your expense report or, or um, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. So I actually have a list here for today mm. of some of that administrative stuff that I need to do during the trough period that's going to set in on me and, you know, half an hour um then um, um and then finally during the recovery the recovery is a very interesting time of day so if, again for most of us the recovery is late mm -hmm. afternoon and early evening our mood goes back up uh, but we're less vigilant 
and we're, 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 and so that makes it that makes it uh, uh, a great time to do more creative, iterative work like brainstorming. Mm. And so uh, now now, again, for the people who are owls, the 20, 25 percent of us who are hardcore night owls, they should be doing their analytic work in the evening. Early evening, mm. mid evening, late evening, even early morning hours, because that's when they're going to be most vigilant. That's when they're going to be least distractible. And so what we know is that if you that if we know these general patterns, think of the day as having three parts. Think of those, those uh, mm. uh, think of different cognitive abilities being better or worse during each of those three parts and knowing your chronotype. If you know your chronotype, you can match it to the task that you need to do. Is it an analytic task that requires focus? Is it more of a heuristic creative task that requires a little bit more iteration, a little bit more freewheelingness? Is it an administrative task where you're just trying to grind it out? And um, mm. and if you do the right work at the right time, the evidence is pretty clear that you're going to do better. Hmm. Hmm. I, I see. And um, that's super interesting. And I think this is so, so important, right? Because if you are, um, you know, if you are a night owl and you're trying to wake up at, you know, 5 a.m. because, you know, whether it's you have to because that's when school starts mm-hmm. or, you know, you read it in a bunch of articles <laughs> that say you have to get up at, at 5 a.m. to be the most productive and you go against that, you know, you could like I feel like there's some really, really serious consequences to this. Like you could have low energy. You could think, you know, I'm not trying to take this lightly, but you could think you're, you know, depressed. You could be in school. You could be trying to take a test in the morning. And, you know, you think you're now stupid because you're getting bad grades. And obviously, like, I feel like timing is not 100% like everything. Like, you know, we can control a ton of other variables ourselves. Right. But I feel like this is so, so important. And like almost all of our society sort of not like not really aware of it and and almost sort of like lost touch with it. I'm not sure if people in, 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 you know, ancient civilizations were more sort of attuned to this, but um, it's definitely an interesting time. And I'm uh, really glad that, you know, you you definitely are talking about this idea. It's really especially important when. Um, you know, we, so many people can have such a range of different, um, you know, times that they're awake. Some people pull all nighters, some people, um, you know, yeah, definitely sleep is really important. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear more, you know, you mentioned, um, or I mentioned exercise. I'm curious, you know, because to me, there's, there's many different variables around this, right? So, you know, before, when we hopped on, you said that, you know, we're going to enter a trough soon. You went for a walk. You drank some coffee. Um, I know for me, exercise definitely gives me a boost of energy. I also know that, you know, if I don't eat, like if I do intermittent fasting, I also feel like I have a bit more energy and I can sort of like bounce over the the trough, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. But How often do you I'm do curious it? to hear what, from you. Your, like your intermittent fasting, is it intermittent by day, within the day or by day? Like, do you do the thing where you do so only it's like 500 in- calories at, on certain days? No. So, um, so for, so I don't actually don't do it that often cause I'm trying to eat way more, but what I've, uh, what I usually do is, um, if I am going to do it for that energy, I'm, I'll just have breakfast normally and then I'll just like skip lunch uh-huh. and I will just not eat. And for whatever reason, I feel a boost of an, an energy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Yeah. But. Interesting. 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 Um, um, 
Yeah. So on, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it's interesting. So on, so getting back to exercise, um, you know, exercise is one of those things that is absolutely good for us. It's there, there are very few downsides to exercise. Uh, but when we exercise, there, there are differences. Um, and, and mm. so morning exercise seems to be better for certain things. So for instance, uh, morning, uh, exercise is exactly as you say, gives people a mood boost. That mood boost can be fairly enduring. It could last like 10 hours. And so, you know, if you exercise mm. at 7 o'clock in the morning, you get that mood boost all the way through, what would that be, till 5 p.m. Uh, you exercise at 7 mm. o'clock at night, and you're going to end up sleeping through some of that mood boost. Uh, so morning mm. exercise, if you want that mood boost. Uh, morning exercise seems to be slightly better for, um, for, for losing weight uh, mm. uh, because of the types of... Um, fuel we use and the types of fuel we, we burn off, even though losing weight is extremely difficult. I don't, I, I think we've understated how difficult it is for people to lose meaningful amounts of weight, but it seems to be better for, um, it seems to be better for weight loss. Uh, and also people, uh, morning exercise seems to be better for forming the habit of exercise. So if you hmm. know, and, and I think that's a simple reason for that. At five, let's say at 5.30 p.m., there's a chance that I'm gonna, I could be interrupted, that I still have something going on that I can't get out of. At 6 a.m., that's less likely. So morning exercise is good for mm. that. Afternoon exercise ends up being better for other things. So afternoon exercise mm. is better for, uh, people report enjoying it more. People find it less effortful uh, in the afternoon than in the morning. Mm. But that's me. I, I hate morning exercise. I, I find it excruciating. Um, uh, morning exercise is also better. I'm sorry. Afternoon exercise is also better for avoiding injury. Um, uh, I think that's partly because of changes mm. in body temperature and our mm. our you know later our body temperature peaks in the late afternoon, and so you exercise around then you you are literally more warmed up. I actually had. I mean, again, I don't know if this is the cause of it, but I had an experience um, just this past weekend. So I. Uh, um, I, I like to run, mm. I'm very slow, but I like to run half marathons. That's my form of exercise. Mm. And I had, a, I ran a half marathon on this, this past Sunday as you and I are talking. And it was the first, I've maybe done 20 races overall in my lifetime. So not a huge number, but not like, like mm. more than one. All right. And so, but you know, let's say 20 races. And this is the first race I had to quit. Uh, and it started at 630 in the morning. Uh, to to avoid the heat, and I got in. I got to the eight mile mark of this half marathon, and mm. I had such strain in my hamstring that I thought I was on the brink of tearing my hamstring and being out of commission <laughs> for a couple of weeks. And again, it's correlation, not cause and effect. But the early, like the earliest race I've ever had in my life, was the only race where I've gotten injured and not been able to finish it uh, and it could it could be that it just takes me longer to warm up than most people so so afternoon exercise is better for enjoyment it's better for avoiding injury it's also better for performance there's some very interesting research showing mm. that our lung function is higher that time of day our hand-eye coordination is better that time of day uh, some interesting effects on speed as well that time of day so mm. it really depends on what mm. your, it really depends on what your goals are yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I find that I just find that, you know, if you can maybe not in this case of a marathon, but if you can, you know, 
take a break and I know you, you talked a yeah. lot about that in the book, but if you can take a break and like, you know, sync it with something that you know to be good for you, whether that's a walk yeah. or a cup of coffee or whatever it is, that's like a that's like a double boost to sort of coast over the trough as much as possible. Absolutely right. That's awesome. And you know, I'm I'm curious to hear from you is there, you know, sort of when it comes to engaging with others, whether it's maybe, you know, you're uh, meeting up with a friend or maybe it's, you know, you're hopping on some kind of a, a business call and it's over the phone and there are people that um, may not be in the same time time zone as you, mm-hmm. you know, what are your what are your thoughts on sort of syncing that up across, you know, uh, the different time periods? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's very hard to do. Um, so if you're having a, where are you based, Mark? Are you in New York? Boston. Boston. Okay. So, so, you know, if you look, you know, let's say that you have to do a, a phone call with somebody in California or, or even more extreme, somebody in Asia, mm-hmm. uh, you, there's no way that you're going to be able to talk in real time in a way that puts both of you in your ideal time period. It just doesn't work that way hmm. because they're, what is there, like 12, 13 hour difference. And, um, and, and that's hard. So that's a problem that's, that's a problem that one can't solve immediately. You just can't wave a magic wand and make that go away. What you can do are other kinds of things where um, you can, you know, at the very least, if it's someone you have an enduring relationship with or someone you're working with on a project, just switch things around so it's not you know to, so to have a so for me on the american east coast to have a call with mm. asia i have to do it uh either very early in my morning or very late in my evening neither of which i like and so one way to get around it would be just to make sure that i'm not the like basically figure out what my preference is and then make sure that i'm mm. not always doing it at advent at disadvantageous times um, and so that's one thing that you can do. The second thing that I think is actually more important is if you think about these these conference calls that we have, uh, it's possible to break them down a little bit and think about a conference call or an online meeting or whatever as a collection of tasks to be done. So think of it as a giant receptacle, mm-hmm. and inside those receptacles are tasks. Um, not all of those tasks must have to be done synchronously. Some of them could be done mm. asynchronously. And so if you can find out the tasks that can be done asynchronously and allow people to do those asynchronously whenever they want um, and then save the real-time call for things that must, must, must be synchronous, what you're going to do is you're going to get you're gonna have a shorter meeting with more value. And so that's one small thing mm. you can do. The, 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 what we're up against, though, with talking with different time zones is that, that is completely alien to our brain's evolution and our body's experience. If you think about the era, the time in which our brains evolved, uh, we, we were living on a savanna. We humans were living on a savanna. Uh, there was there were no hours. There was no clocks. There were no time zones. Like you, it was impossible to talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. It was. I mean, at the time, it's impossible to talk to somebody who who was outside of the sound of your voice at that moment. And so, you know, that's the era. That's the time in which our brains evolved. So we're not. Our brains have not evolved. To talk to people in different time zones, uh, it doesn't. You know, it just mm. it, it's 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 hard for us to do. So if we recognize that it's difficult to do to do that, if we offload some of the asynchronous tasks so people can do those on their own, that could then limit the burden of 
the call and the tasks that have to be done synchronously. Uh, and then, just to be fair, if we just spread the pain around, then we can make these awful international concert conference calls a little bit less awful. Uh, absolutely, man. And, um, you know, Daniel, the, the last thing that I wanted to, to touch on, because I think it's really important, is, you know, we've been talking about time and sort of the, the micro, the 24 hours that we have in front of us. But I really love the parts in your book where you bridge it out and you kind of look at your life from a macro standpoint. Like I think you refer to it as a sort of episodic Mm -hmm. series. And like that is really, really interesting when it comes to, you know, uh, you know, whether it's like a New Year's resolution or when people do things at the time of their life. Uh, And I'd love it if you could just sort of touch us like like the like the basics on that. Yeah. So there are a lot of different. um, I mean, we know a lot about different patterns over across um, uh, a lot of different patterns across life. Uh, what we know, if you look at something like satisfaction and happiness, we know that people are actually reasonably happy and satisfied in their 20s and 30s. Uh, that begins to dip in their 40s, uh, dip fairly precipitously in their 50s. But then around mm-hmm. the mid-50s or so, it ticks back up. And so people who are, I think it surprises people, people who are 70 in general, are far happier than people who are 35 or 40. It's not even close. Um, So that's one thing. The other thing that's kind of interesting about the aging process is that um, what you also find, and this is some really nice work done by Laura Carstensen at Yale, I'm sorry, at at Stanford. She um, uh, did some uh, research showing the size of people's friends networks over time. So how how large, now I'm talking about social networks, I'm talking about like real friends. And so how large is your social network? And in general, people's social network grows from the time that, say, they're in their teens and their 20s, you know, rises in the 30s and 40s. But around age 60, it has a Mm. precipitous decline, a huge drop-off in your friendship networks after age 60 and the size of them. Mm. And that seems like a sad story, but as she unpacked it, she realized that something else was going on. Uh, She asked the people who were in her study, um, please identify your friends Group your friends into three groups, inner circle, middle circle, and outer circle. Inner circle are people you couldn't live without. Middle circle are people, hey, they're, they're, they're part of my life. Uh, outer circle is, hey, they're good, you know, they're acquaintances and things like that. And what she found is that after age 60, people essentially got rid of the outer two circles and focused. So they have fewer friends, but they have intentionally edited those weaker ties out and instead focus mm. on the stronger ties and double down on their most meaningful relationships. And that's a source of their happiness and satisfaction. That's a, uh, that's very, very interesting. It's, um, I mean, I definitely look forward to when I'm, you know, that age, hopefully, but yeah, you got you a know, long way, man. I, I, that's, um, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, man. Um, and so Dan, you know, the, some of the, you know, the final thing that I have my guests do is, you know, leave the, leave the audience with a self inquisitive question. I find questions are, very powerful uh, cognitive tools that somebody can potentially deploy and or, you know, maybe even a, you know, some kind of an action, some kind of a simple exercise that somebody could do right after listening to this podcast. Um, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's a nice way to, 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 mm. to, to, to do things. Um, one of the things that I found in studying motivation and just looking at my own behavior is that uh, one question we don't ask ourselves enough is, like, why am I doing, like, let's say I'm stuck on a project, an article, a book, whatever. Um, my, our instinct is to say, how can I write this? How can I finish this? And I think it's useful to step back 
and turn that how question into a why question. Why am I doing this in the first place? Why does it matter? And asking yourself that question can actually break through a lot of mental barriers. It allows you to give a little bit of distance hmm. to what you're working on. So for me, it's, um, let's say I'm writing a book and I'm in a chapter and the, this particular section, the paragraphs are not coming. And, it's like, and I'm basically asking myself, well, how can I write these next two or three paragraphs? Um, what, I can, what I can be doing in certain circumstances is changing that how hmm. question to a why question and asking myself, it, why am I writing these three paragraphs? Why am I writing this chapter? And having that bit of remove can sometimes unlock a lot of those creative barriers. So that's one thing that I would, um, that's, um, mm. that, that's one thing that I would do on the, um, on, on the questioning uh, area, uh, which is, you know, in, in general, just every once in a while, take a step back and say, why am I doing this? What's mm. the point of the exercise? Uh, a lot of times we get so focused on finishing, we get so focused on moving forward, we get so focused on reaching that finish line that we lose sight of why do we even have that finish line? Is that the right finish line? And by asking yourself that question periodically, it can be a big boost to your mm. motivation. Mm. Dude, well, I, I think that's really phenomenal. And, you know, for the, the three people in the world that haven't <laughs> heard of your book, when I highly recommend to check it, we'll have a link to it below. Absolutely, man. Danny, is there anything else that, you know, you would urge people to check out or anything specific other than um, the book and the website, which will all be linked below? Well, if, if you're interested, yeah, I mean, you can go to my website, danpink.com. Uh, I also do a biweekly newsletter and the highlight of the newsletter, big time, it's a very, very, very short newsletter is something called the Pink Caps, which are these short, usually about two minute videos that I send out uh, offering a science-based tool or tip to work smarter and live better. And those have proven to be super popular. And I distribute them through my newsletter. Uh, they're also available on my site. So if you're interested in those two minutes of science-based um, action items for doing things a little bit better, uh, check that out. The pink Awesome. Pink. Awesome. Sounds super awesome. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the Humans 2.0 podcast. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. This has been your host, Mark Metric. Damn, you made it till the end of the podcast. That's really rare in the age of digital distraction. This really means the world to me. I really hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my website, Mark Metry, or message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. My name is Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned in this episode and I'll be sure to get in touch with you and if you really really love the podcast I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left me a review it helps way more than you know let's get this humans 2.0 grassroots movement going Woo! get out there and do something impactful today